0: This feels um, so undeserved. Like, I have been so overwhelmed with text messages and prayer and encouragement. It has just blown my mind. So, um, I just deeply, I deeply love you guys. Like, every person in here, I was praying last night after everybody went to bed and just picturing as many faces as I could and praying for each of you individually Because I feel so honored to be able to encourage you. Like, to be able to exhort you. Um, And I feel like, I genuinely feel like this is family and I'm sitting in a living room with you. But you're all looking at me. (laughs) So that's different, but (laughs) Um, I don't take this lightly. And I'm really excited to be with you this morning. I am going to share a little bit about myself before we jump into the teaching, because I don't know all of you, though eventually I would love to. Um, I am married to Kylo, who you just met. Uh, we have three kids. We are actually in a cover band together, so I love to sing. Um, my dad, isn't it? Dad, he's here today. You want to wave your hand? <laughs> And my sister next to him, um, (laughs) Vinny, who was playing drums earlier, he's in it too. So we have a really good time together. Uh, I am a homeschool mom. Thank you. (laughs) I was just going to let that sit for a second. (laughs) Because it is so rewarding, but it's absolutely maddening at times as well. Um, and, And they know that, so I can say that confidently with them sitting here. Um, Last semester, we learned about the solar system. We spent an entire semester learning about the solar system. And during Christmas break, they were really bored. And I'm like, hey, we never got to the puzzle, the solar system puzzle, like the thousand piece that that should take you forever. Go do that. And one of them looks at me and says, what's a solar system? (laughs) Dear Lord. And then I went in a corner. So there's moments like that. But then there's also moments where they're like reciting prepositions in the store. And you're just like, don't be that kid. Shh. Like, um, yeah, I was thinking there's an Instagram, like homeschoolers making fun of homeschoolers. And I follow because it, it feeds my pride that I'm not <laughs> like them. But then, uh, oftentimes, you come across one where you're like, shoot, we do know a lot about birds. <laughs> like, <laughs> why? <laughs> and it puts it, like, totally back into perspective. Um, so all that to say, I, there's like 100% guarantee that I will play a huge part in their brokenness. <laughs> um, but not as a joke, like, that's, that's just the reality but I'm so thankful for that because God came for the broken. So it's a vehicle of grace for us on the daily. Um, So that really has been a gift, this homeschooling decision. I don't know if it's a forever decision, but yeah, so that's my life in a nutshell. (laughs) Um, So when Tom asked if I would teach, my reaction was no. (laughs) Or I just need more time to like, consider this Um, and when we made the decision and they actually set a date I'm like oh so now I actually I have to come up with content like there has to be a message and I really struggled Um, I studied for hours and I had lots of different thoughts and I had lots of different ideas but I could not land on a passage and I'm like so frustrated um, and time was running out, like I had to have something due to him. So I was praying, and the next morning the Lord woke me up, and First Peter popped into my head. It was First Peter 1, 3 through 9, and I went downstairs and started reading it and just started crying, because I'm like, this is it. And not so much, I believe it's for you, but it, it, this is so much for me as well. Um, So this morning, we are going to be discussing hope, a living hope and what that looks like. So before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then you can get ready to turn your Bibles there. Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity. I feel like it is such an enormous gift. Um, I remember a time sitting out there and thinking like I will never teach again and just kind of mourning that. But you're so good, like your plans are so much better than, than we could make for ourselves. I thank you for who you are. Um, I thank you for the love that you have for us. And more than anything, I ask that that would be revealed this morning, how much you love each of us and how everything that you do is rooted in that love. Um, Let that be our reality. Thank you again, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so how many of you have heard of the Biosphere 2 in Arizona? A couple people. Okay, so the Biosphere 2 was a completely enclosed ecological system that they built in, I think, like 1987 to see if they would be able to sustain life on another planet. So in the process, it failed, it failed. <laughs> but in the process, they, they came into contact with all this new information about growth and living things and how they survive within our atmosphere. One of the things that happened was Trees. so this is a completely controlled environment, okay? So trees grew rapidly. Like, they just shot up because it was perfect conditions. Like, all was well. And then the trees began falling before they could fully mature. And they were, why is this happening? Come to find out, because they had a lack of natural wind, So the stress of the constant movement in the trees, it actually, the trees weren't able to send out what they call a reaction wood, a stress wood. This is super interesting. I'm a science nerd, and I hate science, but I love this kind of stuff. It has to do with plants, that's why I love it. So there's a compound in a tree that is not activated until it runs into stress. So this compound, which is completely different from any other part of the tree, is activated when it's wind, when it's met with stress. And it shoots out stress wood. And it's asymmetrical. So instead of going up, it goes to the side. And that's actually what strengthens the tree, which is why when you're driving up the mountain, and you're like going around those curves, and you see those trees that are like <laughs> bent, but they're solid, and they're anchored, it's because of this stress wood. And it was only possible because of the wind. And that was the one object missing. So this morning, we are going to talk about hope and the activation that's required, which is suffering. Happy New Year's. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so beginning in First Peter 1, verse 3, um, I'm going to break this down, this whole entire passage down into three points. Uh, the first being, sorry, I, I'm going to jump back. The first point, uh, the beginning of hope. The second point is the growth of hope. And the third point is the fruit of hope. Okay, so beginning, the beginning of hope, point one. Starting in verse three of 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Okay, so before we get into this verse and breaking it apart um, and talking about what hope is, I want to talk about what hope isn't, because I think that will be a better, give us a better understanding. So first, hope is not optimism. Not that optimism is bad, but optimism by itself falls short. So I'm going to give you two examples, a silly one that is very like dear to my heart, and then an actual serious one. First one, Avril had a birthday recently, and she is gluten-free and dairy-free, which makes baking extremely difficult. So I there's great victories. There are great failures when I'm cooking for them. Um, so I made this cake. It was a great failure. <laughs> and I'm, I have no time. Like, her birthday party's coming. This failure of a cake is here. And I'm so angry. Like, I'm just angry that this cake looks this terrible and Kylo he looks at me he's like it's fine it's just a cake it looks great but inside I know he's lying to me <laughs> it's like don't I don't want to be lied to you <laughs> just say it looks terrible <laughs> go to Sprouts <laughs> but optimism fails in that moment because it doesn't it doesn't meet you in what you know is true um, and on a more serious note What if I'm given a terminal diagnosis? And a friend comes to me and says, don't worry, they'll find a cure. Okay, but what happens if they don't find a cure? Optimism won't carry me through the not finding the cure, but hope carries me through and speaks truth and sustains me when there still isn't a cure if my diagnosis is still terminal so optimism falls short because it cannot meet us in the depths of our suffering because it doesn't know pain and it cannot comfort hope does not equate to happiness i love this one i'm also a 4 so i if you're into the enneagram like I like sad things. Um, So hope does not equate to happiness. It actually satisfies a much greater need within our heart, which is communion with God, like relationship with God. So I I can be suffering or I can be experiencing grief, but still experience God in a, in a way that I would not be able to experience him when I'm happy. It's actually a gift. Um, hope is not earned, nor can it be summoned within oneself. I cannot make myself hope. <laughs> and that, that's beautiful. I love that because it's something I have to receive. It's something outside of myself. Hope is not an emotion or a position, but rather a living reality. It's something that we get to walk in and experience. Um, I saw this over Christmas. This was on one of the um, Advent things I was following, writings. And it said, prodigals may never come home. Addictions might suck the hope right out of the veins, Mental illness may lurk ominous around the edges of family. Strained relationships may yank out chunks of your heart. And I may go ahead and let myself down so hard for the gazillion time that I smash all my hope in any shiny tomorrows. But God, someone is actually here. And that's the difference. What is hope? Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hope is Christ. It is a person, and not just a person, it is a person that is present right here, right now, on the constant. So hope is initiated by him. And it's sustained in him. Um, In Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I love that. We are declared righteous, nothing that we did. We're declared righteous outside of anything we brought to the table. We have peace of peace with God because of that. And we have obtained access into this grace in which we stand. That is our new platform for the birth of hope. It is Him in everything that He offers. Um, I finished a book recently that used an analogy of a kitchen remodel. So you could tell somebody all the newest equipment that they need to have in their kitchen. You could tell them the best layout that would work with the best workflow. Um, But when they actually went to start working on their kitchen, they realized the plumbing's terrible. The foundation has to be completely ripped apart. I don't have the money for the new equipment. Like, there's this reality, and I do this all the time. I'm a sucker for Pinterest, especially right now. So there's this dreaming of like, yes, that's it. That's the bathroom. That's what I need. And then you go into my bathroom, and I'm like, oh, Simon close. Like, I can't do that to this. There's this reality, and so what needs to happen is a complete teardown, like to the, st- the studs, even probably further down than that. There needs to be a rebirth, right? He has granted us a new birth. We get to start over, and that is the beginning of our hope. Christianity is not some idea it's not some philosophy, and it's not some theology, it is someone. I could not go to him, so he came to me. Hope is absolutely inseparable from himself. So if you want hope, you have to have Jesus. There's like there's no separating those two. So we are given a living hope. And what is the surest sign that something is living? It's growing. Good, everybody. (laughs) It's growing. Whether you see it or not, it is growing. So point two, the growth of hope. Jumping back into 1 Peter, starting in verse 5. You are being guarded by God's power through faith. For a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that word trial... It's referring to temptations, whether inward sinful temptations, like to sin, or outward. Okay, there's a parallel verse now that I want to share with you. Romans 5, 3 through 4. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance, Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. That word afflictions, that's more in regards to pressures, burdens, persecutions, things outside of our control. So whether it's a trial, a temptation or whether it's an affliction, a pressure, or something completely outside of our control, what do both of these verses tell us is the driving force behind the growth of hope? Suffering. Whether because of temptation, um, well, actually, no, I'm not going to go. I want to talk about grief first. When it said the grief, going back to 1 Peter, grief in various trials, that word grief is a sharp pain, a sharp sorrow, a keen mental suffering or distress. This is what's producing hope within us. When uh, the guys asked me to teach... And I said, yes. Then they said, you have to do a cue. What's a cue? You have to fully give your message to us. I'm like, wait, what? Like like standing up in front of you and actually giving you the message? Yes. Twice. It was terrible, guys. I've never been so awkward or so not myself. The first time I remember they left, I'm like, Oh, so bad. Um, So I was really discouraged the first time, and they were so kind. And one of the things that Herrick said was, I feel like this is a pearl, like this is a pearl to be revealed. And I was thinking about that, and I told my mom, Care Bear, you raise your hand, she's here too. I call her Care Bear because she's caring. Um, I told my mom, who then told my dad, because that's how things happen. (laughs) Tell my mom so she can tell my dad. Um, And my dad's like, well, that makes sense. And then he explained how a pearl was formed. I didn't know. Again, science. (laughs) So I'm going to explain how a pearl is formed. The formation of a natural pearl begins when a foreign substance, such as a parasite, slips into the oyster and irritates the mantle. It's kind of like the oyster getting a splinter. The oyster's natural reaction is to cover up that irritant to protect itself. The mantle covers the irritant with layers of the same substance that is used to create the shell. This is eventually what forms the pearl. He loved another version that said that the parasite grabs on and refuses to let go. That sounds like suffering to me. <laughs> like more often than not, that's what it feels like, a hold that can't be broken. Yet it's that hold, it's that splinter, it's that parasite that it views as um, danger as like, I need to get rid of this, but that's actually, in fact, going to be the foundation of the pearl. So as it is trying to protect itself and throwing this, I don't know what it is, mucus. I'm just in my head. That's what I, I'm like, that's what that word kind of sounds like. Um, it's forming the pearl. And as I was thinking about this in my own life, uh, we had... Actually, so I got pregnant when nine months after we got married, and it was a surprise, but excited nonetheless. Um, I had a very healthy pregnancy, and about 41 weeks in, I finally went into labor, and it was a 32 week labor. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That would be terrible. Uh, science, (laughs) Um, (laughs) 32 (laughs) hour. Uh, So we're coming to the end of it. And it ended up being two hours of pushing and still no baby. And I just remember thinking, God help me. Like this child needs to come out. So finally, um, they requested some tools. They got the baby out and I was so happy. I was like, thank you, Lauren. Like, it's done. It's done. Baby's on the table, um, and they start taking care of me. And then I notice, like, blue lights going off, and just doctor after doctor after doctor rushing into my bedroom. There's, like, 12 doctors in there, and then I hear code blue. I have no idea what's happening. In my head, I'm like, okay, this is fine. It's going to be okay. Like, Doctors always come through. There's nothing to worry about. Um, she was not breathing. They had to resuscitate her. They were able to resuscitate her. I can't look at certain people, because they're already crying. Um, they resuscitated her, and they told me, um, this is not looking good. We need to send her down to Radies Hospital. So they flew her out. Did they fly her? No. Ambulanced her out. See, I don't, I don't even remember half of it. It's still a fog. Um, ambulanced her out. So five hours after giving labor, I was in my car driving down to Rady's Hospital. And I get there. And there was a, a big room that all my people, they let all my people come in with me. And they said, Andrea... She was without oxygen for way too long. She is not going to make it. You will have time with her, as much time as you want today. When you're ready, we're taking her off oxygen. Um, devastating is an understatement. So I did, we did get to hold her as she passed from this life to be with the Lord, which was a gift. But I do remember being by myself outside of Radies. It was pouring rain, and Kyla went to go get the car. And knowing this car was driving up with an empty, what do you call those? Thank you. Car seats. Um, And just thinking, like, this is not how it was supposed to be. Days later, um, we were staying at Kylo's parents' house. I didn't want to go back home. Who wants to go home to an empty nursery? Um, So we were staying at, like, different houses. And I wrestled with the Lord all night. I was up all night. And I was just like, how dare you? Like, who do you think you are? I have loved you, I have been faithful to you, like, how dare you take this from me? And the Lord, like, took it. He, like, graciously took those harsh words. And when dawn, it was like 5 o'clock in the morning, sun was coming up, he's like, Andrea, what is the one thing that you prayed for your entire pregnancy with this child? and it was that she would know you and love you all the days of her life. And he said, "Did I answer that prayer?" And I said, "Yes, you did." It wasn't in the way I wanted it to be answered, but he answered it nonetheless. Um as you can imagine, the grief that followed, that like sharp sorrow was excruciatingly painful, but it was also met with um, a knowledge of my savior that would not have been possible otherwise. The surface coating of a pearl looks smooth. The shiny luster and the gleam is what makes them beautiful. But the coating is actually made up of millions of tiny crystals. So it's not actually smooth. That's why one common test for a real pearl is to rub it in your teeth. The tiny imperfections and the roughness will be felt as grittiness that signals a genuine pearl. Does the grittiness take away from the beauty? No, you can't even see the grittiness. But it is felt... And it is a sign that it is genuine. That is the work of suffering. The proven character of your faith and of my faith is Christ likeness. It's how you and I are becoming more like Christ. So we suffer because it is the one surefire way to become more like Christ. Because what did he do? He suffered on purpose. He came knowing that he was going to suffer for you specifically, in all ways, not just on the cross. It was a slow suffer all the way through. Persecution, denial, unbelief over and over and over again. Like, how would that feel if if my kids just came to me constantly, do you really love me? Yes, I love you, but do you really love me? Yes, I love, but do you really, like, so, paid, like, he suffered. So, why wouldn't that be the one way that we could become more like Christ as well? I understand that it is. It's a hard truth to comprehend, and it's something that I still struggle with to believe at times. Because when you're in the midst of suffering and when you're in the midst of grief, you, it, you're repelled by it. When we're surrounded by so much brokenness, it's easy to look around and say, if there is a God who really cares he'd look at our world and his heart would break. And God said, look, my heart did break as he's looking to the cross. He does not require anything from us that he himself has not already journeyed and known and experienced. Suffering allows you to be human. It does not allow you to lie about who you are. That is the, uh oh, I love that gift about suffering because I don't have control. So I can't pretend to. I can't pretend to be able to save myself. I require a savior. In other words, suffering can break us away from the lies of this world and break us into more of God. Um, Joni Erickson Tata is a Christian author, a speaker, and an international advocate for people affected by disability. When she was 17 years old, she was in a diving accident, and it left her as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. She says, "'The greatest good that suffering can work for a believer is to increase his or her capacity for God.' The greater one needs, the greater will be our capacity. And the greater our capacity, the greater our experience will be of our Savior. And I love that because I could so relate to that. My brokenness was so wide and so deep. Like, imagine that kind of gap. It then allowed a depth and a care for me from the Lord that was so wide and so deep to meet that gap people used to ask and my kids still ask me this once in a while if you could have Addie here that was her name if you could have Addie here if you could somehow go back and change the past would you and i feel like that's such an impossible <laughs> that's such an impossible question to answer sometimes But the reality is, I think I would say no. Like, as much as I love her and would want to spend time with her and have her be a part of this family, like, I know where she's at. I know, like, beyond this world, like, that promise is fulfilled. And I know my Savior so much deeper because of it. Like, the intimacy I experienced with him is unparalleled. Like, why would I want to give that back? What if nothing tragic has happened to you, though? So you're listening, and you're like, nothing like this has happened before. But hasn't it? I mean, the Bible tells us that we are at war. Like, our spirit is at war with our flesh. So every daily decision to die to ourselves is a chance to suffer because dying is dying. (laughs) Whether you are dying to a desire or physically dying, like dying involves pain. I'm still faced with the same decision, whether standing over a sink full of dishes, complaining about my life, or whether I'm kneeling over a dying child, same decision. Do I believe he says who he says he is? And if I do, then that changes everything. It changes everything across the board. You never hear anyone complaining about the parting of the Red Sea, right? Like, Why would God do that? Terrible decision. (laughs) No, like everyone's like, That was amazing. God, part the Red Sea. Everyone loves the grace that delivers us. But like the Israelites, we're dissatisfied with the daily manna. We all complain about the grace that merely sustains us. The grace that sustains us. Suffering comes in all forms, from apocalyptic to the daily dying to ourselves. Sometimes it's the parting of the Red Sea, and sometimes it's I have to say sorry, and I don't want to. I have to forgive, and I don't want to. I love this, uh, this part of the story in The Velveteen Rabbit. We've never read it, so don't think anything like that. <laughs> Um, But I do love this part. I haven't read it to the kids, that is. Maybe after, you know, second semester of solar systems. Um, What is real? Asked the rabbit one day. Real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Becoming real is becoming more Christ-like. It is becoming who he intended us to be from the very beginning. And that requires suffering. But there's hope. (laughs) Point number three, the fruit of hope. So back in 1 Peter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Spurgeon said it best, Oh friends, I think that the happiest moments I have ever known have been just after the sharpest pains I have ever felt. I love that because there's so much truth in that. How can I know real joy if I have not known real pain? If I have only known happiness, what do I have to compare that to? Like, I, there's no way I would appreciate joy unless I understood what the lack of it felt like. It just makes it all that more precious. We don't rejoice in the afflictions themselves. I do not rejoice in Addie's death. But I do rejoice in the effects and what suffering can actually produce within us. That's the rejoice. Hope is an understanding that this is not all that there is. It actually illuminates the great hope of eternity, of being fully restored. That's part of the gift of our hope being rooted in Christ is that there's more to come. It's not just right the here and now. Like there's an eternity with Christ. This is actually the worst of it. Let that blow your mind. Like, And Jesus endures, the Bible says, Jesus endures because of the joy set before him. He was able to endure the cross because of the hope. The hope that he knew he was able to implant in you. The hope of having you with him for eternity. the fruit of hope is also love. In Romans 5.5, 5, it says, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I love that, poured out in our hearts. We experience the endless love of God. So we can suffer and stand in hope at the same time because of the surety of his love for us. It's the realization that Jesus loves me in the midst of this, and then I get to go home to him. Like, what, what greater gift is there? I am fully loved, like, in a way that blows my mind on the daily. And then I get to go home to him? It's such a gift. Er, Joni Erickson Tata said this Thank you, I whispered. Thank you for the healing that you gave me, the deeper healing. Oh God, you were so wise in not giving me a physical healing. Remember, she's quadriplegic in her wheelchair the rest of her life. And she is saying, you were so wise in not giving me a physical healing because that no meant yes to a stronger faith in you, a deeper prayer life, and a greater understanding of your word. It has purged sin from my life. It has forced me to depend on your grace. It's increased my compassion for others who hurt. It has stretched my hope It's given me a lively, buoyant trust in you. It has stirred an excitement about heaven and pushed me to give thanks in times of sorrow. It has increased my faith and it has helped me to love you more, Jesus. I love you more. That is the end goal. That's your end goal and that is my end goal is Jesus, I love you more. Matthew Henry said it well, the ground of our hope is Christ in the world, but the evidence of our hope is Christ in the heart. It is knowing him. And love is his only method. You serve a king whose love is his only method. It is behind everything. Last one, hope produces faith. Uh, One more heavy story, I'm so sorry, but I love it. Again, four. Sadness (laughs) feeds me. So there was a mother whose son died in a car accident. And she was, this is a true story, she was rushed to the hospital and was in the hospital room with her dead son. When a priest walks in and says, ma'am, I just want to assure you that God had nothing to do with this. She turned to the priest and she said, please do not take away the only hope that I have. That is faith. And that is faith that has been built on knowing that, no, God loves me. And he is good. And if I believe that God is loving and that he is good, that means I also have to believe that he is in control, that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful, that he is steadfast. I don't get to pick what I want to believe about him. If I believe one thing, I believe all the things. They all apply. Hope increases our faith. The worst had happened, and yet God was still with her. The worst had happened, and yet God was still with me, is still with me. At the end of all of our striving and our longing, we don't find a force. We find a face. We actually have a person. Robert Farrar Capone said, death, you see, is absolutely all of the resurrection that we can know. The rest is faith. That's actually the part that we get to play in first, that we get to experience on this side. How amazing is it going to be when we get to experience the other side, the resurrection? Henry Noen says, the word faith is often understood as accepting something you can't understand. People often say, such and, such and such can't be explained, you just have to believe it. However, when Jesus talks about faith, it means, first of all, to trust unreservedly that you are loved, so that you can abandon every false way of obtaining love. You are loved. And because of that love, you get to stand in hope. A hope that is living, that is active. It's a reality. Hope is given as a grace. It's grown through suffering. And it enables a deeper love for my Jesus. That is a living hope. I love you guys. Thank you. So let me share with you.